Welcome to another episode for 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. This episode is titled, Rin Tin Tin and the White Buffalo. And I can imagine a few of you are asking, where in the world did this title come from? Welcome back, everyone, and settle back with your coffee, because I'm taking you on a trip back through time to meet one of the most famous dogs that ever lived, Rin Tin Tin and a white, buckskin-clad Indian woman of legend who brought the first peace pipe to the Lakota Sioux tribe. So what is a Rin Tin Tin? Ask anyone over 65, and they'll light up and probably buy you a drink so they can tell you all about it. Rin Tin Tin was a male German shepherd that was an international star in motion pictures. He was rescued from a World War I battlefield by an American soldier, Lee Duncan, who nicknamed him Rinty. Duncan trained Rin Tin Tin and obtained silent film work for the dog. Rin Tin Tin was an immediate box office success and went on to appear in 27 Hollywood films, gaining worldwide fame. Rin Tin Tin was responsible for greatly increasing the popularity of German shepherd dogs as family pets. The immense profitability of the films contributed to the success of Warner Brothers Studios, at one point saving them from bankruptcy and helped advance the career of Daryl F. Zanuck. After Rin Tin Tin died in 1932, the name was given to several related German Shepherd dogs featured in fictional stories on film, radio, and TV. Rin Tin Tin Jr. appeared in some serialized films, but was not as talented as his father. Rin Tin Tin III, said to be Rin Tin Tin's grandson, but probably only distantly related, helped promote the military use of dogs during World War II. Rin Tin Tin III also appeared in a film with child actor Robert Blake in 1947. Anyone remember him from Beretta? Duncan groomed Rin Tin Tin IV for the 1950s television series The Adventures of Rin Tin Tin. But RTT IV performed poorly in a screen test and was replaced in the TV show by trainer Frank Barnes's dogs, primarily one named Flame Jr., called J.R., with the public led to believe otherwise. Instead of shooting episodes, RTT4 stayed at home in Riverside, but the brand name was all that mattered to millions of 50s kids who enjoyed watching the adventures of Rusty and his dog Rinty at Fort Apache. The show ran for five seasons on ABC every Friday evening from October 1954 to May of 1959. ABC re-ran the series on late afternoons from September of 59 to September of 61. During its first season in 1954-55, The Adventures of Rin Tin Tin finished at number 23 in the Nielsen's, making it the second highest rated series on ABC at the time, behind Disneyland. Reruns ran on Saturdays on CBS from September of 62 to September of 64. Then a new package of reruns was shown in 76 and continued into the mid-80s. The original black and white prints were tinted light brown with new opening and closing segments filmed in color in Utah. The show currently airs in syndication on Antenna TV with remastered episodes produced by Cerulean Digital Color and Animation with lines redubbed for some scenes using actors other than those from the original series cast with a different generic theme song. Rin Tin Tin was the only dog in L.A. to be listed in the telephone directory. Lee Duncan says, Rinty was very close to his great-grandfather, the original Rin Tin Tin, who appeared in many popular motion pictures of the 30s and 40s and was for a time the highest-paid performer in films. 
The first episode of Rin 1010 commenced when the U.S. Cavalry came upon a wagon train that had been attacked by Apache Indians. The only survivors were a young boy named Rusty and his German shepherd that he called Rin 1010. The cavalry took the boy and his dog to Fort Apache in Arizona, where Lieutenant Ripley Rip Masters made Rusty a corporal so he could stay on at the fort. How do we get from Fort Apache to the legend of the White Buffalo? The adventures of Rin Tin Tin showcased one of television's earliest canine heroes, who left big paw prints for his descendants to follow. The Rin Tin Tin TV episodes were filmed on a low budget, limiting the film stock to black and white. Outdoor action was shot largely at Corganville Movie Ranch, northwest of Los Angeles in Simi Valley, where the production made ample use of the facility's Fort Apache. Additional action sequences were shot on the Iverson Movie Ranch in Chatsworth, California, known for its huge sandstone boulders and widely recognized as the most heavily filmed outdoor shooting location in the history of Hollywood. The show's troupe of 12 character actors were often required to play multiple parts in the same episode, sometimes to the point of one actor fighting himself, wearing a cavalry uniform in one shot and an Apache outfit in another. The German Shepherd Flame Jr. did the real work. Rin Tin Tin IV, who lived about 90 miles away at Duncan's Ranch in Riverside, California, was receiving visitors who were eager to see the famous dog. In the sixth episode of Season 2, Rusty and Rinty got involved in an adventure that involved a peaceful band of Chiricahua Apaches who had arranged a meeting with Lieutenant Masters to complain that the treaty to keep buffalo hunters off their land was being broken by poachers. Rusty meets the Chiricahua chief, who tells him how important the buffalo was to the tribe and shares with him the legend of the white buffalo, the moral of which is that only those whose heart is brave and true and who treat all men like brothers will see the white buffalo. The poachers break up the meeting by shooting the chief, and Rusty and Rinty manage to corner the gunman, who tries to escape on foot, but gets trampled by a buffalo herd that has been stampeded by the sound of the gunshot. Rusty, following the gunman, also tries to escape the herd, but it falls headlong in front of the charging buffalo, only to be saved by the sudden appearance of a white buffalo, who stands in front of Rusty, forcing the stampede to bypass him on both sides. At one point in the episode, Rusty and Rinny are sitting by a campfire with Lieutenant Masters, played by James E. Brown, who, with the cavalrymen now turned into what sounds a lot like the Sons of the Pioneers, shares his version of the legend of the white buffalo. And they had their marketing all together back in those days. The Cadence label record with picture cover showing Rusty and Rinty on the cover was already in every store's 45 RPM rack. The Legend of White Buffalo Woman is an old Indian tale and one that has been told by the Lakota tribe of the Northern Great Plains for as long as anyone can remember. The Lakota are one of the seven tribes that make up the Sioux Indian Nation and are often called the Teton or the Western Sioux Tribe. And this one has special significance to many Plains Indians. Why? Because White Buffalo Woman is considered to be a cultural deity. She brought the first peace pipe and the ceremony in which to use it. Add this to the fact that when the Plains people killed a buffalo, they used every part of it. 
Nothing was wasted. They used the hide for teepee coverings, bedding, clothes, moccasins, and robes. The buffalo hair was used for rope and halters. The hooves were used for rattles. The horns were used to make dishes and spoons and ladles. From various parts, they made whips, saddle pads, glues, toys, drums, belts, stirrups, shields, knife cases, boats, thread, and of course, food. So the buffalo was sacred to them. It meant life. The white buffalo is an extremely rare animal, enough so that the birth and death of every white buffalo has been pretty much recorded since 1833. The birth of a white buffalo calf at times in our past has been declared as a sign of change, of peace among all men. With special breeding practices among certain buffalo breeders, more white buffalo have come to be born, but occasionally a lone one will make the news in hopes that it may be the harbinger of peace on earth. Want to know what the biggest threat is to buffaloes now that they're protected from hunters? Join us at the conclusion for the answer. And now, our story, The White Buffalo Woman. There are many versions of this story out there, and the overall story they tell is this. One summer, many winters passed, at an encampment that included the seven sacred council fires of the Lakota Oyate, the tribe led by Standing Hollowhorn, known as the Itazipcho, or Without Bows, went to hunt for game. That year, there was very little game, and the people were hungry. For days they had been searching for game, but in vain. Seeing a high hill, they decided to climb it in order to look over the whole country. Halfway up, they saw something coming toward them from far off, but the figure was floating instead of walking. From this they knew that the person was, in their language, Wakin, or holy. At first they could make out only a small moving speck and had to squint to see that it was a human form. But as it came nearer, they realized that it was a beautiful young woman, more beautiful than any they had ever seen, with two round, red dots of face paint on her cheeks. She wore a wonderful white buckskin outfit, tanned until it shone a long way off in the sun. It was embroidered with sacred and marvelous designs of porcupine quill, in radiant colors no ordinary woman could have made. This Wakan stranger was Tisan Wee, White Buffalo Woman. In her hands, she carried a large bundle and a fan of sage leaves. She wore her blue-black hair loose except for a strand at the left side, which was tied up with buffalo fur. Her eyes shone dark and sparkling, with great power in them. The two young men looked at her open-mouthed. One was overawed, but the other desired to have her and stretched his hand out to touch her. This woman was Lila Wakan, very sacred, and could not be treated with disrespect. The man was instantly covered in a haze, his body appearing to be devoured by snakes. When the haze lifted, the man's bones covered the ground where he had been standing only moments before. To the other scout, the one who had behaved with respect, the woman in the white buckskins who would come to be known as White Buffalo Woman said, I carry a message for your people from the Buffalo Nation. Go back to the camp and tell the people to prepare for my arrival. Tell your chief to put up a medicine lodge with 24 poles. Let it be made holy for my coming. The young hunter returned to the camp. He told the chief, he told the people, 
what the sacred woman had commanded. The chief told the Iapaha, the crier, and the crier went through the camp circle calling, Someone sacred is coming. A holy woman approaches. Make all things ready for her. So the people put up the big medicine teepee and waited. After four days, they saw the white buffalo woman approaching, carrying her bundle before her. Her wonderful white buckskin dress shone from afar. The chief, standing hollowhorn, invited her to enter the medicine lodge. She went in and circled the interior sunwise. The chief addressed her respectfully, saying, Sister, we are glad you have come to instruct us. She told him what she wanted done. In the center of the teepee they were to put up an Owanka Wakan, a sacred altar made of red earth, with a buffalo skull and a three-stick rack for a holy thing she was bringing. They did what she directed, and she traced the design with her finger on the smoothed earth of the altar. She showed them how to do all this, then circled the lodge again, sunwise. Halting before the chief, she now opened the bundle. The holy thing it contained was the chonumpa, the sacred pipe. She held it out to the people and let them look at it. She was grasping the stem with her right hand and the bowl with her left, and thus the pipe has been held ever since. Again the chief spoke, saying, Sister, we are glad. We've had no meat for some time. All we can give you is water. They dipped some wakanga, sweet grass, into a skin bag of water and gave it to her. And to this day, the people dip sweet grass or an eagle wing in water and sprinkle it on a person to be purified. Look on this, she said, and always love and respect it. No one who is impure should ever touch this bundle, for it contains the sacred pipe. She unrolled the skin bundle and took out a pipe and a small round stone which she put down on the ground. With this pipe, you will walk on the earth, which is your grandmother and your mother. The earth is sacred, and so is every step that you take on her. The bowl of the pipe is of red stone. It is the earth. Carved into it and facing the center is the buffalo calf, who stands for all the four-leggeds. The stem is of wood, which stands for all that grows on earth. These twelve hanging feathers from the spotted eagle stand for all the winged creatures. All these living things of the universe are the children of Mother Earth. You are all joined as one family, and you will be reminded of this when you smoke the pipe. Treat this pipe and the Earth with respect, and your people will increase and prosper. The woman told him that the seven circles carved on the stone represented the seven rites in which the people would learn to use the sacred pipe. The first was for the rite of keeping the soul, which she now taught them. The remaining rites they would learn in due course. The woman made as if to leave the lodge, but then she turned and spoke to Standing Hollowhorn again. This pipe will carry you to the end. Remember that in me there are four ages. I am going now, but I will look on your people in every age, and at the end I will return. She now walked slowly around the lodge in a sunwise direction. The people were silent and filled with awe. Even the hungry young children watched her, their eyes alive with wonder. Then she left. But after she had walked a short distance, she faced the people again and sat down on the prairie. 
The people gazing after her were amazed to see that when she stood up, she had become a young red and brown buffalo calf. The calf walked further into the prairie and then lay down and rolled over and turned to look at the people. When that calf stood up, she was a white buffalo. The white buffalo walked on until she was a bright speck in the distant prairie and then rolled over again and became a black buffalo. This buffalo walked away, stopped, bowed to the four directions of the earth, and finally disappeared over the hill. Early in the story, we mentioned that the appearance of the white buffalo had been documented since 1833, and here's the first and last of the many. In 1833, a white buffalo was killed by the Cheyenne. The Cheyenne killed this white bison during the Leonid meteor shower, the night the stars fell, and scribed a peace and trade treaty on its skin. This event was documented by historian Hosiah Gregg and other travelers on the Santa Fe Trail. And the most recent, on May 7, 2016, a white buffalo mother gave birth to a white buffalo calf at Sioux Valley, Dakota Nation in Manitoba, Canada. Upon hearing this news, further south in Greengrass, South Dakota, an elder with the distinction of being the 19th generation keeper of the white buffalo calf pipe was among the first to hear the news and see the Takan's photo of the calf. This was Chief Arvo Looking Horse, and he said, the people of the Buffalo Nation place great significance on the birth of albino animals, none more so than the buffalo. Looking Horse calls on the world for a day of prayer for the earth every June 21st. When the elders passed the sacred bundle to me to care for on behalf of the people, he said, they told me of the warning that came from white buffalo calf woman 19 generations ago. She left a prophecy that when animals are born white, it would be a sign, a blessing. But this sign would also be a symbol of opportunity to change the path of destruction to all life that we are on. I thought this would not be in my lifetime, he said, after the Sioux Valley calf was born. Looking Horse said, white calves are the planet's warning to humans to smarten up. And the biggest threat to white buffaloes today... Upon researching all the births and deaths of white buffalo since 1833, the most common form of premature death is lightning. Kind of hard to stay low when you're a big animal at the mercy of storms on the open plains. Thank you for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed this Indian legend of White Buffalo Woman and how she brought the peace pipe to the Sioux Indian tribes. Join both of our shows and all our archives at 1001storiespodcast.com. That's www.1001stories, S-T-O-R-I-E-S, podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, dot com. Until next time, this is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.